will turn again with me in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 8. We're going to get back into John's Gospel this week after last week on Resurrection Sunday, looking at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also reminding ourselves that every Sunday, every Lord's Day, is a celebration of Christ's resurrection. To get us back into the context of where we were, we're going to be in verse 12, uh, but we looked at last week, verses 1 through 11, the woman caught in adultery. And if we'll remember, she was caught in adultery and she knew it, and we knew she knew she was guilty, and she was living in darkness, spiritual darkness, and she knew it. And she was brought to Jesus, who is the light, by men, religious elites, who were living in darkness, spiritual darkness, and did not know it. And now Jesus will say in verse 12, I am the light of the world. That's the second of his I am statements. In the Greek, it's ego a me, where we get the word ego from, centeredness, I, that's where that comes from. But this is the seven, or the second of the seven I am statements. The first we saw in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. We see I am the light of the world. Here in chapter 10, we see I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then chapter 15, I am the true vine. But this one, I am the light of the world, is what we're contemplating today. Have you ever stopped to think about how dependent our daily lives are on the availability of light? What is our life like without light? It's usually disturbing when the light goes out, isn't it? Especially at nighttime, when the power goes out and you have no lights. Even adult people scream when that happens. Ah! Lights out. Think about, what did Thomas Edison invent? Did you say mimeograph? He invented that. The phonograph? What would become the video camera? What film? Thomas Edison had 1,093 different patents. And you know what we remember him for? One, the light bulb. Why? It changed everything, did it not? I mean, if you have light at night without end that takes no fuel and, and puts off no real heat, it changes everything you do, right? I mean, you can work now, you can play now, you can do all these things all different times of the night. Our ancestors went to bed when it was dark and they woke up when it was dark. But now we can work all the way through the night. Light bulb changed the rhythms of our society. I think about light and availability of it. What is every child afraid of eventually for at some point in their life? The dark. And then what's every parent's solution? Here's a light source. This light and dark, I mean, this is circles all the way around us. And one of the first in, uh, innovations or additions to the cell phone in the early 2000s was a flashlight. If you were big time back in those days, on your Nokia brick, you had the snake game. If you were real big time, you had the snake game and a flashlight. Why is a flashlight the one of the first things that they're going to put on a cell phone? So we can see in the dark. That matters to us. You know, in the springtime, parks and beaches, playgrounds, sidewalks are all flooded because the dark winter is gone. The long light is here. The warmth and light is here. Our lives just revolve around the availability of light. 
We work during the day. We sleep during the night. We tell our kids to go outside. It's a bright, sunny day. Hey, you're burning daylight. We talk about this. It works all around. The electric light has given us all different kinds of options for work and for play. So needless to say, we are abundantly familiar with the concepts of light and dark and the importance of light. Nobody's confused about the role that light plays in the human existence, right? Nobody's confused about that. Light's synonymous with warmth. Man, she just really has a really bright personality. Light's associated with clarity. Hey, shed some light on this for me. Light's associated with hope. I have a light at the end of the tunnel. Lights associated with safety. I mean, we have those things for sale at stores. Safety lights. That's what they're called. There's a whole demographic for that. For understanding. Shed light on this. Truth. Shed light on this. That's what lights associated with for all of us. And everybody's familiar. Just about everybody's familiar. Even the unbelieving world. With the third verse of Genesis 1. Are we not? And God said, let there be light. Right? We, we all know that one. And there was light. So how wise and impactful for Jesus to use this concept of light to explain more of himself to us, created beings, simple and fallen. The very essence of light is what he created in Genesis 1, because John 1 tells us that he was a creator, and he uses it to explain more of who he is and what he does. So we're going to just dwell on this one verse this morning, and we'll see that we're going to pull in about 17 other verses to look at this because of how pervasive this concept is throughout the scriptures. Anytime God says he is something, we would be wise as his people to pause and reflect, what, what is that? To answer the question, what is God, is massive for the Christian faith. And if he says, this is what I am, then we would be wise to perk up and pay attention. John's already told us that Jesus is the light. Remember that? Chapter 1 and chapter 3. In fact, Jesus, or G, John refers to Jesus 16 times as the light, just in this gospel alone. But this is the first time that Jesus calls himself the light. So let's be like Martha's sister Mary and just sit at Jesus' feet and tell him, explain more to me what it is that you're the light. I want to know that. Our big idea this morning is going to be, what does the light of Christ do? And we're going to see three answers to that question. The first answer to that question of what does the light of Christ do comes at the beginning of verse 12. And Jesus spoke to them, again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He doesn't say I am the light of part of the world. He doesn't say I'm the light of the Jewish world. I'm the light of the American world or the African world. I'm the light of the, the female world or the male world. I'm the light of the world. The world. He's the only light available to all the world. He's the world's light. There's not other lights out there that exist in different parts of the world that are acceptable to God. We get that because light's not relative. John Calvin said, he said, outside of Christ, there's not even a spark of true light. There may be some appearances of brightness, but it resembles lightning, which only dazzles the eyes. Have you ever said, oh, no, I'll make it home walking in the dark woods. There's enough lightning for me to be able to see. What does lightning do? It flashes you and then you can't see. Calvin's saying that, like, that, that's what all other lights are. There's only one light that's acceptable to God, and it's Christ. Light and darkness is so universally binary, nobody can misinterpret it. 
We all understand it. Everybody in every part of the world calls light and dark the same thing. You have different words because you have different languages, but it's the same thing. Nobody has their own version of light. Well, I know that that's not light to you, but it is light to me. When we go to other cultures, we expect that to a degree. I know this isn't disgusting to you, but it is disgusting to me. I know this isn't respectful to you, but it is respectful to me. I know this isn't a real sport to you, looking at you, soccer, but it is a real sport to me. I know this isn't, you know, a, a real, you know, a family dynamic to you or real manners, but it is to me. Nobody says that about light. You don't have that cultural confrontation when you go elsewhere in the world. I know that's darkness to you, but it's really light to me. No, it's universally binary. Everything is the exact same thing. There's one light for all of us. The same sun shines in Ethiopia, that shines in Antarctica, that shines in San Diego, that shines in San Salvador. Same sun, same light, same everything. So this means that one Savior has been offered to the whole world. I am the light of the world. And God has linked these two things together in, in prophecies in the Old Testament. That the, son, the sent, say, uh, sent servant of God, the Savior, is parallel with light. Isaiah 40, 49 verse 6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Do you see what he says? He said, it's too small for my servant, my sent savior, to just save the 12 tribes of Israel. No, 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 I've got much bigger plans. I'm sending you out to the whole world, all nations, every corner of the globe. My light is for everyone, not just for this one people. That's too small. God says, I'm looking to bigger. I'm, I'm looking to enlighten more than that. Now, if Jesus is the world's only Savior, and thus the only source of true light, then that makes the whole world accountable to God, does it not? If He's the true light, the only Savior, then the fact that He has come and that He has died and rose again is, is undeniable. Nobody can deny it. But yet there have been resurrection deniers since the very beginning. Remember last week when, when Paul read... Our scripture reading in Matthew 28, it's worth reading again. They've been denying it since the day of. 28 verse 11, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place, meaning that the resurrection had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Living contrary to the truth. Hey, we know this happened, but let's just tell everybody it didn't happen. And we've been living like that for forever. Deniers live contrary to the truth. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Well, why? Why is your wrath revealed? And why is it unrighteousness or ungodliness? What have they done? Well, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth? You're saying that you're walking around in darkness saying, no, I can see. Now, this is light. That's what's happening. This light shows you what is true and you can't deny it any longer. Let me just take one example. It's year 2021. 
What are we 2,021 years away from? We started counting at some time. Was there, was there no people 2,022 years ago? What are, we, what are we doing? You can call it A-D-E or B-C-E or whatever you want to change the names to, but it is A-D, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. I mean, you're just denying, light deniers. No one has an excuse. Romans 1, 19 through 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Where? In the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. That's what the Bible says, that, that, that light deniers are without excuse because the light of the world has come. Let's think about it like this. If you knew that there was a pile of Legos in the middle of your living room floor when the lights were on, and then in the middle of the night, you chose to just walk boldly straight through there, barefoot, whose fault is that? There's no worse pain than that. Maybe childbirth. But whose, whose fault is that? I never experienced it, but maybe. It's your fault. You saw in the light. And now you walked right into it. You can't deny it anymore. The light was there. And it lit up the whole place for you. My, I, I'll never forget this exact kind of situation. When I was a kid, we would, love, we would play this game. We'd hide and seek in the dark, and we'd have all these kids come over. And these friends were in town. They were missionaries from Russia, and they were here in town. And they were the Purcells. Graham was my age. And we were playing around. We finally had a big backyard. We could play hide and seek in the dark in, and we're chasing and tagging and all that kind of stuff. Our neighborhood was very poorly lit. It was in an old part of town. So you could hide really well, but then you could run away instead of having to get caught. And we had no fences, which made it great. We did have one problem, though. We had a dog run, a cord that went from one tree to another tree that was about waist high on a 12-year-old. And the dog would run back and forth on it. And I'm chasing Graham. And he's been in Russia. And it's, you know, America's different now. We have dog runs. And I'm yelling, Graham, I'm not kidding. There is a cord. You're going to run into it. And he's like, never. And then he just runs straight into it, catches it right above the belly button, does a full somersault flip. And I was like, if you had only seen in the daytime what you knew was there, then you would have believed me that I wasn't lying and trying to win. But instead, you ate it. But Christ has come as the light of the world and illuminated the human experience. Those who reject him are accountable and can't say they didn't know. But here's the flip side to the light of the world. Everybody can come. The light is there. The whole world. The light of Christ is all of grace and it shows you that you were living in darkness in the first place. Come. The whole world is darkness. We know that from the scriptures. Psalm 82, 5. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. Ephesians 6, 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, meaning people. Our fight's not against people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. We live in darkness. The world is darkness. It's true of the world in every era, before, during, and after Christ's uh, incarnation. And that this darkness is perilous danger. See, the unconverted just live with it. They hate it, but they just can't process it. It's like trying to explain ocean water to a fish. I, I can't comprehend it. They can't think of anything else. 
Living in the darkness is killing the unbeliever and they don't know it. You're in this thing that is a detrimental to you and you don't know it and you just keep running around. When we went off to college, my, my best friend from high school went to Baylor and I went to A&M and we were from Waco. And so he was at Baylor and, and Baylor has students come from all over the, the country because it's a private school, a Baptist school, so they come from all over. And so he would make friends at Baylor. And this is back in old Waco, not new Waco, like not Chip and Joanna Gaines Waco, like old Waco. And right near Baylor campus is where we used to have, when I was a kid, we'd go and volunteer for church under the bridge where it was all these homeless people would come and they would just have church under Interstate 35 and just have church right there. I mean, it was bad, bad part of town. So my friend Andy would be constantly telling these girls who came in from, you know, like Highland Park, Dallas, or from San Diego, California, or from like, you know, suburbs of Miami. And, and they'd go out on jogs at midnight out on campus, which in normal places, that's fine. But he would tell them, no, 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 you're in Waco. Old Waco, man, not Chip and Joanna Gaines Waco. He's like, you can't go out jogging at night. You don't know where you are. So in the daytime, he would take them across the highway, which is where the campus is right next to it, and say, see all of this? It's all still here during the daytime. And, and, the, and when, it's, when it's dark, everybody who lives in those houses is going to come out. It's not a good place. You have to warn them, you don't understand what you're doing is putting yourself at risk. That's what everybody else is running around in. They don't know how dangerous they're living in, what kind of danger they're living in. But now with Christ, you see the truth and you're aware of the dangers and there is a path to hope. Have you ever been driving at night without any headlights? Is that peaceful? Are you like, that's yeah, fine. No, but the light brings peace. I can see where I'm going in the midst of the dark. Coming to Christ gives us headlights. There's a clear distinction between the narrow way and the broad way. I know what road I'm on, and I know where the right road is. That's what the light does. You can know that you are reconciled to the Creator God. First John tells us that in verse, chapter 5, verse 13. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. The lights are turned on. You may know this. You're not confused. The headlights are on. We're not left wondering. The light makes us know. And this light drives out every kind of darkness everywhere it's located. Because really, all darkness is the same, is it not? I mean, think about it with just natural light and darkness. Is jungle darkness any different from cave darkness? any different from Arctic darkness or from solar eclipse darkness. It's all darkness. There's various shades. There's various amounts of ambient light, stars and moon and things like that. But it, it's all just darkness. The same is true of spiritual darkness. Atheist darkness, animist darkness. I, I have no, the nuns, N-O-N-E, I have no affiliation with any religion darkness. Buddhist darkness, Muslim darkness. It's all the same. It all springs from the same spiritual deadness and depravity. And that's a blessing to us as, as those who have been put on the mission of the gospel that we don't have to be an expert in every other religion or worldview in order to be effective in winning the unbeliever. We just have to be experts in the gospel because it's all the same darkness. 
Light always drives out darkness, no matter what flavor it is. So I don't have to know in intricate detail the five pillars of Islam to win Muslims any more than I have to know how stalactites and stalagmites grow in a cave and how the water flows underground in order to turn on a flashlight and light the place up. I just need to know what light is in order to drive out darkness. All we need to know is Christ and his gospel and be an expert in that because there is no darkness that the light of Christ can't drive out. And the question becomes then, do we believe that? Do I believe that about myself? Ask yourself, is there something in my life? I'm not coming to Christ because there's some realm, corner, nook of darkness in my own heart that I just don't think can be taken care of. I just don't think it can be driven out. But that's not the case when we're talking about light and darkness. That's an impossibility. There's never been a, a like, man, my flashlight won't work. I got full batteries, but the dark's just too powerful. Everywhere light is, dark can't be there. And Christ says, I'm the light of the world. He drives all of it out. And thinking of baseball terms, light is always and will always bat a thousand against darkness. Darkness has never won against light. Never. Are you anxious for a loved one who isn't a Christian? They're just so deep into darkness. The light of Christ is what drives it out. We pray towards that end. Every, unrepent, or every repentant believer's heart, the, the light is driving out darkness. Whatever that darkness looks like. Whether it looks like pornography, alcoholism, adultery, embezzlement, workaholism, theft, aberrant sexual desires, eating disorders, gossip. Go down the list. That's all darkness, and we have, we have the light of the world. If Christ is the light of the world, then whatever darkness can be found in the world, he is more than able to overcome. That's what makes him the light of the world, and it's overcome in an instant, meaning eternally. We may have to linger with shadows, pockets of darkness, but the light's there instantly and permanently, just like light instantly drives out darkness everywhere that it's present. And the second action of what Christ's light accomplishes is that it frees us from darkness. Look at verse 12 again. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. That's the second action. It frees us from darkness. Christ's light does. You see that it says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Not may not or might not, could not, will not. Walk in darkness. So the reality of all humanity is that we're born in slavery to sin. Romans 16, Romans 6, 17 says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin. That's what we were. Slavery to sin. Ephesians 2, 1 likens this slavery to spiritual death. That we're dead. So we're dead slaves. We're in darkness. I mean, all of these oppressive terms, we're supposed to hear them in all of that. And, and to go even further, what the Apostle Paul says about our natural state in darkness and slavery and in death, it's also inability, total inability to come to God. Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It cannot. The slavery to darkness is all-encompassing and more oppressive than we could ever imagine. It is a complete an exhaustive subjugation to sin and to darkness. That's what we're born into. 
That's what we are before Christ or without Christ. We are bound hand and foot, soul and spirit in subservience to darkness. So much so that the apostle says that it defines who we are. Ephesians 5.8, look what it says. For at one point you were darkness. You were. It's a being verb. Not you were in darkness or near darkness or under darkness. You were darkness. It was your identity before Christ. Your very being. And to further deepen the tragedy, sinners don't hate the darkness at all. That enslaves them. They love the darkness. We saw that in John 3, 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness. It's like when your eyes are adjusted to the light, the bright light, what do you do? You flee the darkness. When you're waking up your teenager in the morning and you flip on the lights, what do they do? They, do, they like stare right at the bulb. Like, hide in the covers. I'm fleeing the darkness. When, when you get a shine light, you, you, hide, you go into the darkness. My eyes are used to the darkness. I'm staying in the darkness. <laughs> Think about it like this. Name one animal that is purely nocturnal that human beings universally love. When you flip on the lights at night and the animal runs away, do you love that animal? The only one that's maybe in that category is raccoons, but they're trash pandas. But you flip on the lights, what runs away? Possums, roaches, snakes, rats, bats. Any of you guys got pets of any of those kinds? Maybe snakes, but you shouldn't. That's the devil's animal. <laughs> but we love animals that love the light, right? When you flip on the light on a dog in a dark room, what does he do? <laughs> Let's hang out. He wants to play. Animals that run away from the light. And sometimes cats are in that category. I'm just saying. What? Love in the darkness, to us, it just seems disordered, doesn't it? It seems backwards. It's, that's our spiritual state before we're converted. We're backwards. I'd rather be in the dark. I'd rather be without light. We can see it most starkly in other people. That usually happens. When we can read the Old Testament, what we usually see is old Israel, and we go, oh, yeah, they're so pathetic. We look at Old, old Testament Israel, and we can just look down our noses and shake our heads. But they're, they're an example of us. Look at Exodus 13, verses 1 through 3. If you, for some context, they just came out of Egypt. In chapter 14, they just crossed the Red Sea. Chapter 15, they all just sang a song all together about how great God is in providing for them and saving them. So now we're in chapter 16. We're talking days later. Had the bottom of the Red Sea actually been muddy, they'd still have that mud on their feet. That's how recent it is. And verse 1 says, They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, ironically named, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The whole congregation grumbled against Moses. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger." Take us back to Egypt. We had pots of meat and bread. If God's going to kill us here, why didn't he just kill us there? Slavery was better anyways. 
I mean, we're talking, you're days out of not only a colossal miracle that the people of God will be looking back to for millennia, but you just sang a song, worshiping him for it. And now you're like, take us back to slavery. We want darkness. We've had this fill of light. We want darkness. That's what we do in our spiritually darkened state. That's just a typology of us. It's easier to stay in darkness than it is to come in the light. Shadows are comfortable. Nobody knows how dirty I am. I don't know how dirty I am. I can't see it. I'm in the dark. The dark's what I know. It's always easier to stick with what you know. The light exposes us and it's abrasive to our comfort. Have we realized through the past several years, maybe just the last year in particular, that the the chief idol of Western civilization is comfort? Coming out of darkness is uncomfortable. The truth is that coming into the light out of the darkness isn't comfortable. What What did Jesus describe it to like Nicodemus who came to him at night? He came to the light, Jesus Christ, at night. So it's representative of his darkness. What did he say that it was like to become a Christian? Like being born again, like having another birth. You ever seen a birth? If you haven't yet, don't, don't jump the gun. Just wait till it's your time. But have you, who is it comfortable for? What, what, what birthing place? Yeah, this is all comfortable. I'm not even one doing any work, and I was extremely uncomfortable four times. Imagine the comfort of the people being birthed and the ones doing the birthing. And the ones watching the vitals are the ones doing the birthing and being birthed. It's very uncomfortable to be born. But yet that baby, what is she going through? Coming out of darkness into light. Screaming the whole way. It's uncomfortable. Being born. That's the, issue, that's the illustration that Jesus chooses to use. So like the woman caught in adultery we saw a couple weeks ago. That moment of standing totally exposed in front of the light. Sin on full display. In front of Jesus. That's where we all must be. That's what it means to come into the light. Nobody has ever been saved without being first exposed as a sinner. That's what has to happen. When the lights get turned on, you see what you are. That's the first step. But do you know what happens for those who come to the light? You know what becomes true for those who come to the light? This phrase we just read. They will not walk in darkness. They are freed from darkness. That's a declarative statement. Every single one who comes to the light is freed from darkness. Romans 6 says four times that the believer, the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, is free from sin or dead to sin. Over and over. It's a fact that all who come to the light of Christ will not walk in the darkness of sin and death anymore. This fact was prophesied about by Jesus' cousin's dad, Zacharias, the priest. He says in Luke 1, 78 and 79, when he prophesies, he says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. The sunrise shall visit us from on high. Usually sunrise comes down from down low, doesn't it? So you're supposed to see here, something's going on. A sunrise coming from on high is foreshadowing Christ. And what's it going to do? It's going to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. 
to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's what happens to everybody who comes into the light. Your feet are guided in the way of peace. You're taken out of the shadow of death. Now, Jesus said the word followers. He said, all those who follow me, followers of me. Believers, that word does equal followers. Because there's no such thing as a believer who doesn't follow. A follower is a disciple, is a believer, is a Christian. Those words are used interchangeably in the New Testament. There, there's not tears of light that you can be redeemed to walk in. You're either in light or you're in darkness. We get that. It's a binary. You're either in light or in darkness. If you're saved by the light of Christ, you're freed from that dreadful darkness. And Jesus used this word follow quite persuasively in the context. Do you remember what we just came out of in chapter 7? The Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths? And they have that big celebration. It's a week long. Jesus has several moments where he teaches throughout it. But every year during that feast, they, the first night, they would have this sort of uh, celebration of lights. And it was in order to commemorate and look back to the pillar of fire that guided the people of God through the wilderness. Like a large column of fire at night, they'd follow that through the wilderness. So what they would do is they get these big candelabras with big bowls full of oil, light them on fire at night, and it was said that it, could, it would light up the whole city. I mean, it was just pervasive light. And they would, they would march through with that as a celebration of the light of God guiding our people. And then Jesus says here, after that festival is over, I am the light of the world. Those who follow me will not walk in darkness. And the imagery is just rich right there. They were following through the wilderness the pillar of fire. Did they have their own map as they were going through? Did they have their own plan? Was there an alternative pillar of fire to follow through the wilderness? No. When the pillar stopped, they stopped. When the pillar moved, they moved. It's reminiscent of the presence of God. So Jesus is saying the same thing is true of me. You're following me. And where was that pillar eventually leading them to? The promised land. That's what we're doing. We're following Christ to the promised land. And the third and final action of our Savior's light is that it gives us life. Look at the end of verse 12. But will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will not walk into darkness, but will have the light of life. True life. Eternal life. The life we were meant for before our parents in the garden followed the, their own wisdom on the advice of the serpent. See, if all the light did was just expose our wretchedness and show us how dirty and disgusting and sinful we were, then there wouldn't be any grace there, right? There wouldn't be any reconciliation there. Only, it would only serve the function of humiliation and judgment if that's all the light did. We know God to be a gracious God. We know God to be a reconciling God. So it's got to do more than that. But before we look at that, let's be clear. God didn't owe any of us grace and reconciliation. Do we understand that? Otherwise, the grace and the mercy that we ask for is kind of nonsensical because if you're owed grace, it's not grace. If you're owed mercy, it's not mercy. That's what you're due. That's wages. That's payment. That's what you've earned. Grace and mercy is getting something you haven't earned or you've earned the opposite of. So God didn't owe that any of us. All he did owe us was humiliation and judgment. Psalm 115, verse 3, God's free to do whatever he wants. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. But here's the glorious truth 
of the Christian faith. That verse is true. God does all that he pleases. And if he has sent his son to be the light to take us out of darkness, that means it pleased God to do that. That was pleasing to God to send his son to be the light of the world that all who follow him will never walk in a darkness, but will have true life. That's what pleased God. So the light not only exposes sin, but it guides on the path of righteousness for the name's sake of God. So Psalm 23 says, guide me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. It's, the, it's interesting, the light that blinds Saul guides Paul. In Acts chapter 9, he's blinded by that light and he's guided by that same light. Yes, the light shows you how filthy you are, but it also illuminates the pathway to the spring of water that bubbles up fresh eternally for cleansing you. So it exposes our sin, but it shows us the pathway. I mean, think about it. every time you've been on an airplane, you're doing what I'm doing, you put your earbuds in and you're not listening at all to what the flight attendants are saying when they're telling you the safety instructions. And how many people have said, yes, I'll be the one who opens this door. I'm sitting by the emergency exit. I got that. Don't worry. You're not signing up for anything. How come nobody thanks you when you are done? Hey, thanks for being willing to do that for us. We don't take it seriously, but let's think about that does happen. The plane does crash. Those doors do pop open. And they say, that, hey, the, on the floor, there's going to be lights, arrows pointing to where you're going to go. Now, if that crash did happen and you somehow start surviving it, and then now you, the lights turn on on the floor. Now, it's painful to realize, I didn't think I was bleeding this much. I didn't think that shrapnel was that big that's all the way through my arm. But I can see now the way out to safety because of that same light. How burned in your brain if you survived an airplane crash like that would those arrows on the floor be? The lighted arrows on the floor. Would that just be permanently seared in your mind? The light that guided you out? That's what Christ is. That's what the gospel is. It's a lighted path to eternal light because we are in darkness. The Apostle Paul says it so clearly in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 4 through 6. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That's exactly what we're talking about. Blinded. You live in perpetual darkness. Blinded the minds. They can't see the light of the gospel. Who is the image of God? And now Paul talks about what we're doing as, in ministry. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the one who breaks the spiritual darkness, the triune God of the Bible. And that guides us into eternal life. That he shines that disruptive light into the hearts of the unbelieving via the face of Jesus Christ. And we're not only shown the pathway to regeneration, the pathway of life, but we're also hand-guided down that path by the light. Psalm 119, 105 says how that happens. Your word is a lamp into my feet and a light to my path. That's how he guides us down the path. You know when and where you step off the path because the light of the Bible is right there with you. It's, it's with you. It's different than 
you think about it, there, there's illustrations in the Bible of, of walking towards the light, like it's like a distant hilltop. You can see it lit up and you're moving towards it, but you're still personally in darkness. That's not the issue for us. We have the light with us. That's what this is. I, I walk around with the light. I'm shining it right on where my feet are. I can see what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to go. I know what's true about me, and I can shine it up and know what's true about above me and around me. That's what the scriptures are. They show us the path of life. This is a very, there is a very real fear of the dark that all people have. And though we as Christians have been enlightened, don't we still live amongst the darkness? Don't we still need a, a personal torch? We, sh- we surely do. And he hasn't left us without that. See, that living in the darkness, that, that fear around us, that's real. Remember the, during the big freeze weeks ago, what was the scarier part, daytime or nighttime, when you had no power? You were just as cold, but it was somehow worse at night. It just, it's, it's colder a little bit. It's darker. I just, if I could just get to the next day. I remember thinking, if I can just get to the next morning, to the next morning. And I had heat and power. That's how big of a sissy I am. Just get to, get to the next day. This is not going to last. We're going to get to the next day. The morning will come. This image is helpful for us as we just trod this trail of tears on the narrow path. Psalm 35, Psalm 30, verse 5, second half of it, it says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning, with the light. Weeping in the dark, joy in the light. This life that Christ promises is a certainty. Look at that again. Will have the light of life. Will not might, not could, not we'll see how they do. All who come to the light won't walk in darkness and will have the light of life. This is not a possibility. Christ isn't giving us our best option. He's not giving us the first two lottery numbers and we've got to figure out the other five. It's a certainty, not a possibility. This is a 75 billion watt Light hooked up to a generator, hooked up to a power grid, hooked up to a nuclear plant, and nothing else is on that circuit. There is no way that light is going out. There's no way. It cannot go out. And the darkness cannot overwhelm it. John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When we were first married, uh, my wife Anna and I lived in this apartment in Bryan, Texas, and as a good, mature young man, I treated her, in some ways I would treat my own roommates in college because it was just like a fun, permanent roommate. And so whenever she would walk in the, ha- in the apartment, one bedroom apartment, I'd turn off the lights and hide. <laughs> and I, I thought this was a great game. I always win and it's very fun. But, and then she would just drop her stuff and start screaming. And that made it even more fun At, to just scare her in the dark. Even as a joke, the darkness can be torture. Jesus came as the light of the world to give life to all who follow him. Never again enslaved, never again tortured, never again stumbling, clashing into things in the darkness. No, we've been purchased and freed by the master of the cosmos, and that master is our God. And 1 Timothy 6, 16 says that he dwells in unapproachable light. There's no shadow around him at all. 
There's no unseen side of God. There's no something that we can't figure out. John 1, 1 John 1, 5 says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. No darkness. His very being is light, utterly void of any shadows or darkness or deception. And as he did for the children of Israel with that pillar of fire walking through the wilderness, manifesting his presence like that, he's going to lead us to the promised land as well. Just follow him. Don't create your own path. Don't, don't try to fabricate your own deal, your identity or life plan. Just follow the light. Just stay with the light. Let it guide your path. Let it fill your heart. We do that together as a corporate people. To that final end point where we dwell with him in the place that Revelation 21, 23 says, And that city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So let's cleave to this God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who says, I am the light of the world. Just like his earthly forefather David said in Psalm 27, 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Father in heaven, this the concept of light, just one verse. And we can just go all day, just go all day in the scriptures. And it's, you created the light. That was your first act as creator to let there be light. And that illustration that you created the essence of, that we all understand and we all get, even, even the blinded minds of unbelievers understand what light and dark means. And you use that to picture yourself. That we can just look at the way the universe turns, that the sun orbits in the way that it does, or we orbit around the sun in the way that we do, and, and it, all of our light is contingent upon you, and we, we just, it's all just become so blindingly obvious. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into the world as the light of the world that was dark and was going to fight back. And then when it realizes the darkness can't overcome it, it just retreats back into darkness and loves the darkness. Give us great wisdom on how to walk in the light. Or you call us elsewhere in the scriptures, children of light. So everywhere that we go, the light goes. Or in that little children's song that we remember from being kids, hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. Let, let your glory shine. Let's not hide it in a basket or blow it out or be ashamed of it. Light's abrasive when you bring it into a dark space. And light draws attention when it's in a dark space. Everybody can see. Let's not be ashamed of that. And let us not think that we need to add to that in some way. The, the light's going to be abrasive enough to eyes tempered to darkness. Let's just hold it up. Help us to hold it up. Help us to be faithful with that. And Father, even maybe even more than that, help us to be faithful in worshiping you as the light, as grateful recipients of it. 
that you've given it to us. You could have just said, this is only for Ethiopians. This is only for uh, Australians. This is only for Brazilians. You could have done whatever you wanted, but you chose to enlighten the whole world, that you're going to call people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Who are we to deserve that light? We hated it when we first saw it, but you pursued us anyway. You adjusted our eyes to it. We could see ourselves and then see you and our need of you. May we be grateful and may we be worshipful. And may that trickle down into our children, to our friends and all those relationships that we have, that we're blessed to have from you. Thank you for this morning. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as the